Hello, deserving listeners. It's just me today. I thought I would talk about social class and therapy today. But first, let me introduce the podcast. This is the podcast called Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am a therapist and a professor. This topic was prompted from an email from patron Charlotte. She is a student at the university in Bristol, UK. And she says, for my doctoral research, I'm looking at social class within the therapeutic relationship from the perspective of the therapist. It would be so interesting if you could do a podcast on the subject of social class differences in the therapeutic relationship. The small amount of research there is say, says that differences in themselves are not necessarily problematic, but the degree to which a therapist is willing to discuss them is, especially if there are implicit social class indicators in the room, such as photos of exotic holidays or expensive art. In the UK, someone's accent can be a major giveaway, possibly more so than in the US. Some clients have reported feeling oppressed and unable to do therapeutic work in these cases. So this is a very good question. And since you're doing doctoral research on social class and the therapeutic relationship, my guess is, is I'm not going to say anything in this podcast that you don't know already, because if I know anything about doctoral research is by the time you're even halfway through that process, you are perhaps one of a handful of people on the planet that know a shit ton about the topic. And so considering that uh, I, I, my dissertation was not on this, I can say uh, with some confidence that you know a lot more than I do. But if I'm just going to ramble about it since you're asking me to, here's what I will say. First off, social class is very interesting to me. I find it fascinating. Also, what I'll say is that it's not often talked about, and it's very, very complicated. There is no way that any one person can observe society as a whole uh, from a, a small corner of the culture and describe a cultural element like class in an effective way which is what I'm trying to do. So as I talk about class, it just has to be taken with a massive grain of salt as, as anyone's discussion about class. And, uh, you know, it's like talking about race or ethnicity or gender. It's just impossible to encapsulate. It's, it's too complicated for that. Plus, I'm just living in one part of one country. I can't really even summarize the United States because the United States is a broad, large country with lots of different regions and societies. And I just live in Seattle, which has its own version of class. And so, you know, all of this just needs to be taken with a massive grain of salt. So what can I say? Well, whether you know it or not, we always size each other up regarding class. I know that class is a taboo topic in the United States, and for a lot of people, they will say, I don't do that. I don't treat anyone differently based on class. That's only because you just haven't, you know, thought about it much. It's not that you're stupid. It's just that you've, you've, you haven't been exposed to much of the class discussions and philosophy. You know, 30 years ago, people would say, I don't, I don't look at race different. You know, I see everyone the same. Well, today... Most Americans can admit, or I, I don't know the stats, but, but a greater amount of Americans can admit that even though they don't consciously think negative thoughts about 
people of other races, they know that they probably have implicit biases that affect the way that they treat people. Well, when it comes to class, it's the same thing. It's, you know, it's exactly the same, but people are just mostly unaware of it because it's not in our culture to talk about it. Currently, right now, we are talking a lot about bias and, and culture and racism, and we're not talking about classism. So, you know, it's, it'll, it's just a matter of time before class becomes a topic and we end up talking about it. But until then, we still, I think, have trouble talking about it. You know, our society in America, we like to think of ourselves as being class-free. There are other societies around the world that absolutely acknowledge their classism and even have words for it, places like in India or in, in the U.K., they will talk quite explicitly about class. They'll say, you know, if you ask the person on the street what class are you, uh, they're more likely to, to be able to just say, oh, yeah, I'm this class. Whereas you stop someone on the street in America and you say what class are you, they'll be like, huh? I don't, I don't, what do you mean? So, or they'll just say middle class because they don't know what else to say, even though they might not be middle class. Or if you were asked people in the United States how to define class, they would say, uh, I don't know, you know, and whereas in other societies, they, they absolutely know exactly how to rate people in terms of class. South America, I know there are societies that have very uh, minute gradations of class based on skin color and that sort of thing. But anyway, so, um, you know, the United States, our credo, the, the American dream is that anyone can increase their station if they want to. It's a total falsehood. Empirically, it's, it's a falsehood. People generally stay in their class, and when they try to jump to a higher class, they're met with tremendous resistance and classism to keep them in their class. But we have this fantasy that anyone can rise to, to upper class if they want to, and the only reason why they're not is because they're lazy or they just don't want to or something like that, but... So, you know, it, we're, we're a society based on freedom and, uh, and, and opportunity for everyone. And, you know, to, to some extent, I'm not going to say that the United States doesn't provide opportunity and, and doesn't try to uh, help people to increase their station if they want to. So, you know, there are other societies that are worse than ours. But we definitely have a classist society and... Um, and so to be in denial of that is silly. Um, you know, for instance, whenever you run into somebody, whether it's your neighbor or your Uber driver or uh, I don't know, anybody, your massage therapist, we are always sizing each other up regarding class, whether you know it or not. When you talk to the parking attendant at the parking lot, you likely have a different attitude towards him than when you talk to your physician, for instance. When, you're, when a disheveled man approaches you downtown and he has a lower class accent or a homeless guy accent, if that makes any sense, you immediately have a different attitude towards him than if the man was dressed nicely and spoke with a middle class accent. So it's, it, it, I hope that you can see that. It's... Um, it, it's often only noticeable class reactions when it's in the extreme. For example, imagine Barack Obama needs therapy and he comes to me 
as he comes, you know, just little me, he comes to me as his therapist. Well, I'm going to, I, whether I call it class or not, I'm going to be intimidated. There's just a massive class difference between Barack Obama and me. Uh, I'm likely to feel intimidated. I, that's likely to compromise my ability to listen to him and to, to treat him or to confront him. Or imagine Bill Gates goes to therapy, for instance. Uh, how would the therapist feel? How would Bill Gates be treated as compared to someone else? Now, imagine a very poor, uneducated immigrant who barely speaks English. He comes to my office. Well, am I going to treat him differently than I'm going to treat Barack Obama or Bill Gates? Uh, I, you know, I would like to think not, but of course I will, because I'm a manifestation of class and cannot get away from that. Now I can try to accommodate that or counterbalance that, but the pressures inside of me and the relationship are overwhelming in a way that uh, would make it, you know, would affect things to some extent. So, you know, it's just always something to think about. Now, something else to think about is that class is often associated with money, you know, the more money you have, the higher class you are. But this is a massive oversimplification. And it's evidence that Americans don't really understand class. They'll often say, you know, if you just ask someone what class they are, they'll often refer, they'll, the, the first thing they'll think about is how much money they make. But that has, it has something to do with your class, but it's one of like 50 different factors. So it's, it's also strongly related, class is strongly related to education, how much education you have, the way you talk, your accent, where you were born, who you know, who you know is a massive indicator of class. What sort of job do you have? How intelligent do you seem? How do you dress? How do you hold yourself? How do you approach other people? All of these things are related to class. For example, when... I first became a therapist in 1997. I was dirt poor. I had a lot of student loans. I was only earning $13 an hour, and I was gravely in debt. So if we just looked at money, I was extremely low class. <laughs> you know, I had a negative balance of money, and and it was only getting worse because I couldn't even pay the interest on the debt. And so I was slowly becoming poorer. And so if we just looked at money, I was, I was low, low, low class, but I had a master's degree. I had a prestigious job as a therapist. I'm half white, half Japanese. Some people would say that's, you know, that's even somewhat more privileged than just being white. <laughs> but anyway, I'm tall. I was young. I had potential. I didn't have an unfavorable accent. I spoke like a middle class, you know, or upper class person. I wore nice clothing. My family has has money, not a tremendous amount of money, but you know, money. I had many friends and family members who would help me if needed. I was friends with powerful people in the therapy community in Seattle, and et cetera, et cetera. Therefore, I was upper class or at least middle class. Now, I might not have felt like I was middle class or upper, upper class, but I was definitely treated as though I was middle or upper class. And that's an important thing. Just asking yourself, what class am I? That's, that's one way of assessing what class you are. Another way of assessing what class you are is, is trying to figure out how other people treat you. 
for instance, someone might think of themselves as being upper class because they earn a lot of money, but because of various different other class indicators, they're treated as though they're lower class. You know, like it's made, it's been argued that Donald Trump is treated like he's lower class because of the way that he talks and the sorts of things that he says and the sorts of people he associate he associates with. And even though he has tons of money and he has all these gold things everywhere, it's it's gaudy, you know. It's what a poor person, quote unquote, would do if they had a little bit of money. And so people treat Trump like he's lower class or working class. But he's, you know, a billionaire. I don't know how much money he has, but tons of money. So anyway, boy, I'm probably going to get a bunch of emails about that one. Um, people, uh, you know, treated me differently, even even though I had no money. They respected my opinion. They gave me jobs, even though I wasn't applying for them. When I graduated, Antioch came after me and hired me as as an instructor, even though I wasn't applying to them. And class probably had something to do with that. Or at least the fact that I wasn't lower class made it so that I was in the running, you know. So another example is imagine you have an excellent candidate for president. You know, we're in the presidential race right now. Now, this person has all the things we're looking for in a president. And this person's smart and they're confident and they're experienced. They're perfect. You want to vote for them. They're the perfect candidate. But this person has a stereotypical Southern accent like Cletus of the Simpsons, you know, He's like, vote for me. Come on now, y'all vote for me. You know, of course, no one speaks like that in the United States. That's just a, you know, caricature, literally. But if if the person talked like that, no one would ever vote for them. And it's purely based on voice and on class. Now, people say, well, that's a funny accent. Well, the only reason why it's funny is because we associate it with yokels, with idiots who live in the mountains, who you know, inbreed with their cousins and sisters and have no money and ha and don't know the nice things of life and dress in dirty wife beaters. You know, I'm not saying this is real. I'm just saying this is what our culture tells us is real. And all of that is associated with somebody. I can't even do the accent anymore. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm just terrible with accents. I don't even know why I tried it. I felt like the first time I did it, it wasn't too bad. I felt like my first shot at the Cletus wasn't too bad. But at any rate, that's important, you know, that you're, the way you talk is absolutely an indicator of the way, the way you're perceived in the class you have. You know, I remember I, a long time ago, I saw that movie, uh, Six Degrees of Separation, I think it is, and it has Will Smith in it, and it has uh, Anthony Michael Hall and... There's this one scene, I think we're, I think Anthony Michael Hall, the white blonde guy, he's upper class and Will Smith is a black guy in lower class and he wants to learn how to con people or how to fit in in the upper class. And so Anthony Michael Hall is saying, you don't say bottle of beer, you say bottle of beer or button. You don't say button, you say button. And I mean, I might be getting the scene all wrong, but it's, it's the way that you talk absolutely indicates your class and the way that you fit into our society. And if you speak 
of an upper class, then you're treated better. And if you speak of a lower class, then you're treated worse. I mean, I should also say that if someone is biased against upper class people, then it works in the reverse, right? If someone's working class and they prefer other working class people, then a person of upper class that speaks, you know, eloquent of a very upper class way is might get discriminated against, you know, in a way. Now, class is actually not talked about that much in counselor and therapist education and training. I know most programs would probably claim, oh, yeah, we talk about it. But I, in my experience, it's, it's either not talked about at all or it takes a, a, a huge backseat to other kinds of uh, cultural issues. For instance, uh, when looking at research by McDowell et al. in 2013 in the Journal of Marriage and Family Therapy, they found that most participants in this study, they, they studied um, uh, students in marriage and family therapy programs and found that most participants said that the professors, their professors assumed everyone was middle class, even though everyone was not middle class. I thought this was very interesting. There's this you know, general assumption that all the students are middle class and that no one's lower class. I mean, how could a lower class manage to get into graduate school, right? And no one's upper class because upper class people, they don't decide to become therapists, right? They, they're doing upper class things. So everyone must be middle class, right? But how can that be? You know, it's, it's not, everyone can't be middle class who's, you know, so there's people of lower working class that are going to marriage and family therapy programs and there are people who are upper class. And so when they ask students, you know, do your professors assume everyone's middle class? And they're like, actually, yeah. 84% said that social class was discussed in the marriage and family therapy education, which is good. 84%. Now there's 16% that said they didn't. So that's no good. But, but the vast majority of people said, yeah, we discussed social class in our program, but they also said that race and ethnicity were given much more emphasis than class. Like I was saying earlier, 25% of participants reported feeling the need to hide their social class background from professors, at least some of the time. So at least some of the time, a fourth of the participants said that they needed to hide their social class from their professors for some reason, probably because they thought they would experience some negative effect of that. 44% of the respondents reported acts of classism in their experiences with professors at least some of the time. So this is no good. Almost half of these students said, my professors, at least some of the time, act in classist ways against me. <laughs> I mean, it's like, ooh, ouch. 40% of participants reported feeling ashamed of their social class at least some of the time. Now, we can't necessarily blame the program for that because of internalized classism. But, but you know, we could assume that the programs, uh, including the one I'm in, though including the one I'm chair of, <laughs> could do a better job of making people feel more comfortable regarding their class. Okay. So what else can I say? Some things to keep in mind around class in therapy. If a client is a, a lower class than you, the client might not feel able to voice their concerns about the way you are treating them. Because in our society, we tell people of low class that they can't talk back to people of the upper classes. They need to, you know, be quiet or else. <laughs> and so if, if you're working with a client and they're of a lower class than you, they, you know, they're poor, they're uneducated, they're an immigrant, 
they their job you know they have a working class job you know they live in a bad neighborhood whatever you want to say they're um they might uh, not feel able to give you feedback and say hey i don't know if this therapy is really working for me and so you might have to work harder to help people feel comfortable with that also uh patron um patron charlotte mentioned things like uh, different markers in your office that indicate your class. And this is something that all of us therapists need to think about, uh, especially if, if it's your office, your private practice office that you have control over. What, what sort of office is it? How fancy is it? What artwork do you have? What sort of pictures do you have? How do you dress? How do you hold yourself? Now, this isn't to say that if you're high class, you should dumb everything down, you know, like don't buy a nice couch, even though you can afford it or something. I'm not saying that. But the point is, is that you should really just pay attention to it. And you should integrate class into therapy when needed, if not all the time. And I'll get into more of that later. But also, if a client is of a higher class, like I was saying earlier, you might you might feel intimidated as a therapist, and this might compromise your ability to confront the client when needed. Or you might give a higher class client much more accommodations that you don't give other clients, like you're more flexible on scheduling or something like that. If you're of a different class, regardless of what class you guys are, you guys, you guys, <laughs> precious guys, um, if, if you are a different class from the client, regardless of the class, you might not really understand what it's like to be in their world, and you might have to spend extra time trying to figure that out. So if you're lower class and your client is upper class, you might have to spend more time trying to figure out what their lived experience is like to understand them as people. Or a lower class client might feel as though you're looking down on them, even though you're not. So lower class people, since upper class people tend to look down on them, when they meet you and they will consider you to be of higher class than they are in all likelihood because you're a therapist and educated and have a good job and all that kind of stuff, they might think you're looking down on them when you're not. And so you might have to work extra hard to prove that you're not looking down on them. Also, there's some research indicating that people of different classes have different expectations of therapy. Like, there's some indication that lower class clients might expect therapy to be brief, whereas upper class clients might expect therapy to take much longer than lower class clients. So it's just another thing to keep in mind. Now, should you just assume that all lower class people want brief therapy? No, but it should be in the back of your mind as a question and trying to gauge that with clients. You know, it just raises the question, pay attention to it. If a client is, is of lower class, you might not be able to empathize with the way they are oppressed regarding class if you're not lower class. And you might, need to, you might need to pay more attention to that sort of experience so you can empathize more easily. And we all know that empathy is an important element of effective therapy for positive outcomes. Now, um, patron Charlotte asked, you know, how do you bring it up? In, in she, she says, the small amount of research there is says that differences in themselves are not necessarily problematic, but the degree to which a therapist is willing to discuss them is, especially if there are implicit social class indicators in the room. Da, da, da. So, right. So how do you, how do you bring it up? How, how do you, because that's often, according to research, a indicator of positive outcomes. It's, it's not that class is a thing it's it's just that you avoid it as a therapist so if you bring it up it's 
likely to mitigate the negative effects or even increase the positive effects of class in therapy. So how do you raise, raise it up? I find that a lot of people, a lot of novice therapists just lack the, um, I don't know, the experience or the instruction on, on how to bring up things like class or ethnicity or, or sexuality and this sort of thing. And it's just a matter of, of knowing the right words and being confident. So here's what I, I have to say about that. So first off, you yourself as a therapist, you have to become comfortable talking about class. You know, it's like sex education. If you giggle every, every time you say penis and vagina, then you're not going to be an effective sex, sex educator. Similarly, if every time you say the word lower class or, or middle socioeconomic class or working class, you get a little cringy on the inside, then you're not, gonna, you're not ready to talk about it with your clients. So you have to become comfortable with it and just, and just um, uh, okay with, with the topic because uh, it'll be noticed by your clients if you're not. You also have to become comfortable with your own class and how you treat others regarding class, you know, your biases regarding class. You have to become comfortable with that. Similar to ethnicity, if you are very uncomfortable talking about your own ethnicity, then it's going to be likely you're not going to pull it off with your clients. So you just have to become comfortable and that's just practice. You just, you hang out with other people who are comfortable with it and you just have conversations and you have those awkward moments. And over time you just have more confidence around class. You just, you know, just say, okay, I'm, 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 I'm now much more comfortable talking about class. Um, now when you're talking with your clients, you want to ask respectful questions. You want to remain curious instead of dictating, you know, to the client, you you should uh, try not to be afraid of making a mistake because that fear, that anxiety isn't going to help. And you want to, regarding the curiosity, you want to ask questions that get at the client's lived experience. So, you know, it's not just enough just to say, what class are you? You know, that, that really doesn't mean much unless you understand what their life is like regarding class. And that requires a fair amount of exploration with them. Don't be judgmental. Don't assume anything. You know, if if they if they look working class to you, don't assume they consider themselves working class. Don't assume they are working class. So, uh, yeah. The other thing is, is that when you discuss class with clients, you might not ever utter the word class. <laughs> and that might sound funny, but when you're discussing class with clients, you might not ever actually say we are now discussing class and I'll get into more of that later. So a lot of this depends on having a good relationship with your client, because if you don't have a good relationship with your client, then these questions could challenge things and cause a rupture that might make it difficult to recover from. So you want to have a good enough relationship with your client. Now, some of you might be able to establish a good enough relationship within five minutes and you might be launching into these sorts of questions right away depending on your comfort level. Others of you, depending on the client, might take, might take uh, five, ten sessions before you have a relationship that's strong enough to withstand the risks of having a conversation like this. So questions like, now that I understand what you want from therapy, so this is like in the first session. So, so now that I understand what you want from therapy, I've heard what you, what you want to get out of this. I'm super curious about what your life is like. 
period, period, period. And then you just say, so tell me, what, what is your life like? Now, this is a, this is a question regarding class, depending on what they say. Now, they're not going to say, oh, that's a great question. Let me tell you about classism and how I, you know, they're not going to say that. What they're going to say is, well, they, first they might say, what do you mean? That's a very open-ended question. But, you know, if you, if you really get them just, you know, what's, what's your neighborhood like? Tell me what it's like to, to be you. What's a typical day like? How do you feel in society? Where do you think you fit? How do people treat you? These kinds of questions. Um, if, if you know a specific marker of class, you could ask about that. You know, like I might say to an immigrant, someone who's immigrated to the United States, I might say, now I was born in the U.S., so I've never experienced immigration before to another country, and I'm really curious what that's like. Can you tell me what's, what, what that's like? So that's a very open-ended question, right? I'm not assuming anything. I'm not assuming it's bad for them. I'm not assuming it's good for them. I'm just saying, you know, I don't know what it's like. You know, tell me. Tell me about what that's like for you. Do you mind telling me what's, you know, and maybe they don't want to, and I've had people tell me questions along these lines. They don't want to talk about it. I remember I talked with a black family, African-American family, and I asked a question about race, and this was, I don't know, 20 years ago or something. And they're like, I don't want to talk about that. That's just not a topic I want to talk about. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I, so I just, you know, I have no idea why. I never found out. But so sometimes people will just say, fuck off. I don't want to answer those questions. And you say, okay. So, yeah, those are just some of the general questions. So you notice that they're, they're very curious. They're tentative. They're not saying anything. They are, they lead to other questions that you might get at, you know, they might start to, well, okay, in my neighborhood, it's kind of nice, you know, I know the neighbors and, and da, 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 and, and, oh, okay, tell me more, you know, uh, well, you know, the, the, sometimes the police come and, uh, you know, I don't know, they're, they're kind of dicks to everyone on our street and, you know, you, you just, you just keep asking questions and, and getting a picture of, of what their life is like. Now, the goal of this conversation is not to go, aha, working class. Now I know what label to put on them. That, that is like the dumb, I, people do that and it bothers me. It doesn't matter what label you'd put to it. Though The whole reason why you're investigating is trying to get an understanding of who they are and what their life is like. And when you find that out, regardless of it, it has to do with class or ethnicity or age or a disability or gender or whatever, you're getting to know who they are and, and their world. And that action and therapy is therapeutic in and of itself. And that's something I often will rant and rave about because sometimes my students will say, well, we, you know, we were just talking. That's all we're doing. I don't feel like we're doing anything. I'm just, and I'll say, well, what do you mean just talking? You know, and, and I'll say, you know, are you asking questions? Are you curious? Yeah, I'm just curious, but I feel like we're not going anywhere. And I'll say, well, are, are you learning things about them? Do you, and are you, are you, you know, are you giving the impression that you care about their story? And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But I, I still, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. And I'll say, you are doing something. Phenomenology, humanistic psychology, Rogerian therapy, these are proven therapies to help people. And, you know, the therapists often feel like they need to be tinkering with something. But a lot of the action of therapy is just giving the client a space to talk in the presence of someone that's non-judgmental, in the presence of someone that really cares about what, what the person is saying. 
and the client can work their shit out on their own. You don't need to tinker. They, they can tinker themselves, which is often what happens. But anyway, so that's what you do when you're asking them about class. You're not specifically trying to diagnose them with class. You're, you're getting to know them in society regarding class, and everyone has a unique experience. So anyway... Now, you want to avoid questions like, you know, very specific uh, sort of assuming questions like, I so I know that the police can be jerks to people like you. Is that true? (laughs) So I don't think any therapist would ever ask that stupid question. But sometimes I see people with an urge to say things like that because they're trying to they're trying to like, you know, bro down, essentially. So you have a white person in today's society with Black Lives Matter, and they want to sort of prove to a black person that they're down, and they'll say, yeah, so Black Lives Matter, huh? You know, or something. And it's like, it's, you know, it's it's not, uh, don't take shortcuts, I guess is the thing. Take your time, ask curious questions, uh, you know, be patient, I guess. Another bad question might be, boy, it must be hard to be of lower class. You know, people really oppress the lower classes. Can you tell me about that? So again, it's assuming that they identify as lower class. That could be very disruptive to the relationship. Or even just asking a question like, so what socioeconomic class are you? What socioeconomic class do you consider yourself? This is a stupid question. And I've, I've heard therapists ask this question. Sometimes it's, it's on the intake form in an agency. You know, it'll be like socioeconomic class and a therapist will just ask them, what class do you consider yourself? This is, you know, it's not inherently a horrible question, but for many people, the one, they're just going to be confused. They're going to be like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Or it's, it's going to force them to somehow identify with something they're not really ready to talk about. Um, and it also implies that you think they're of a lower class or something. Anyway, now I've been talking mostly about lower class, uh, clients and, and middle upper class therapists, but really, you know, class is much more complicated than that. And upper class clients, upper class therapists, lower class therapists, um, in education, blah, blah, blah. Like it, it all, it, there's so many different, again, I, as I said in the beginning, I'm not going to be able to encapsulate uh, the extremely complicated topic of class in this, in this episode. And, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm probably going to run out of time soon. So, so again, just to reiterate, once, once you have a better understanding of what it's like to be in the client's world, then not only can you empathize better, which is therapy in and of itself, but it will also help you with your interventions and the way that you approach the client. So it's, those are all important things, you know, like when it comes to class and gender and ethnicity and age, you, you want to gauge that. And it's very subtle. It's a very, very subtle art form to be able to navigate that with a client. And it's, it's not simple. It's not something like, oh, well, working class people prefer this. And so therefore that, uh, it's, it's never that it's never, ever that it is. It's so enormous. You know, humans are complicated and therapy is complicated and class is an element of that. So it's inherently extremely complicated too. So it's just, again, the overall thing is become comfortable with it yourself, explore it in your own life get talking, get reading, 
get exploring yourself. And then with your clients, be curious about their life. And don't use the word class. Just unless unless the client brings it up, maybe they're like, "Oh, I'm really interested in class," and you say, "Oh, it's, you know." So yeah, but most people aren't. And so just get to know their life and and try to try to surmise where they are in the culture regarding class, and utilize your own knowledge of class to guide you on that exploration. But don't assume anything about about clients, and also know that lower class people tend to be oppressed and tend to be treated worse and know that you have internalized classism that makes it so that you have likely harmed other people in relation to class. And that's not your fault. It's just something that we all do. And once you become aware of it, you just try to counteract it, but none of us can ever do it completely. And so you just, you're just humble in the face of, of all that stuff. All right. Well, I hope that answers your question, patron Charlotte. I'm really curious how your doctoral research is going regarding class. I would love to read your piece once it, once it's done. And if you want to share it in the podcast, that'd be interesting. One of our listeners. Hey, by the way, if any of you students out there publish anything, send it over. I'll, 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 uh, I'll plug it. Well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me out there. Please take care of yourself and pay attention to class because we all deserve it.